Hello, and thank you for being with us once again on the latest episode of the Gaming News Canada Show podcast presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. I am your host, Steve McAllister. On this first week of August, we have an All-American edition of the podcast. Dustin Gauker, the author of The Closing Line and someone who's worn many hats in the gambling industry for almost a decade now, will provide his perspective on the controversy surrounding daily sports fantasy products. Later, friends of Gaming News Canada and SBC executive Sue Schneider and Nicole Fields will be with us to talk about the advocacy they and others are doing on behalf of women in the business of sports betting and gaming. But first, we offer greetings to Dustin Gauker, who makes a long overdue appearance on this podcast, currently a consultant at Katina Media, where he served for almost eight years as a reporter, head of content, and then vice president of North America content. Dustin, as I said, it's a pleasure to have you. We, I, we should have been doing this sooner, but uh, finally, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Cheers. And I know you've been uh, covering Canada as, as well as anyone out there. And it's a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, um, all of this has intersection across, you know, across borders. It's not like it's uh, just just one thing. But what we're talking about here today, the fantasy stuff is, has been very interesting of late. It does. Before we get to that, I just had a chance to, to look at your LinkedIn profile before we, uh, before, before we both came into the studio. And you and I, we kind of have similar paths in, in uh, this road to the gambling industry. Kind of started our, our careers as journalists and ended up where where we are today. I'd love to just on a personal note just ask you a, about that path and what got you into the gambling industry and when. Yeah, so I started, I went to school uh, for, uh, worked for my local newspaper in high school, went to college for, uh, ran my college paper, worked at the Washington Post right out of school. Yeah, I was a classic journalist, wanted to be in newspapers, had had big dreams of that um, all my life. But, uh, you know, part, in the background, I've always been a poker player and not a huge gambler, but I played poker a lot of my life. And I was, I did a lot of content for poker on the side of all my business, of my journalism career um, and played a lot of poker. Pre Black Friday, when uh, when all the sites uh, that served the U.S. kind of came down, so you know I had a chance when uh, Daily Fantasy Sports was f- version 1.0, kind of started coming around here in the United States in the early early teens to, to write for Legal Sports Report. Chris Grove asked me to come over and uh, and help do that, and I you know I kind of brought journalism to to DFS and then eventually the sports betting space to the to the point to where now there's a lot of people covering the space. Obviously, it's a big business now and a lot of eyeballs on it but yeah it was just a I was, I was in the right place at the right time i had the background in gambling i, I knew sports i've been a, mostly a sports journalist throughout my life and uh, got to bring that expertise and, and try to leverage it in the gambling space and and i did and it was a it was a great run and fun to do and 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 really proud of all the sites that that i helped spin up and create including legal sports report yeah and i want to mention too dustin that you know you've been a mentor to, to people covering this industry now uh jessica wellman who's been a guest on the podcast on several occasions and often joins us on, on linkedin audio gives you a lot of credit for her career and katie kohler who's who's been uh, been kind of on both sides of the fence now doing public relations at BetMGM as a, another one who uh, has mentioned you as, as a mentor and I, that's the one thing that surprise isn't the right word, but it's it's impressive to see this group of journalists. And I, I think of people like Jessica and, and yourself and Matt Ripoltowski at Sports Handle and, and Mike Mazeo at Legal Sports Report, Dave Briggs at Play Can and Play Illinois, that there is a, a pretty well-versed media entity in the this industry now that that provides great information and great coverage of the industry, ironically, at a time where we're seeing places where you and I cut our teeth Mm -hmm. and spend a bulk of our career kind of on the back nine. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, it's it's cool to see a, a robust reporting part of the of the gambling industry, right? To see that this has worked, and you know, it, it provides better coverage and better, uh, you know, being a better watchdog almost, right, of the regulated gambling industry than you'd get if you led it to traditional media. So, for whatever role I played in that, and a lot of the people that I've worked with or I haven't worked with, like, there's tons of great work going on out there in in the industry, and and that's been uh, great to see for sure. Well, let's get to the essence of why why I wanted to get you get you on the podcast, Dustin, and that that's on uh, this this whole issue of, of daily fantasy sports. Uh, uh, this week, the Wyoming Gaming Commission essentially sent a cease and desist notice to both Prize Picks and Underdog Fantasy for operating what the commission claims are sports betting products. And of course, on Monday, Better, which is the, the company co-founded by Joel Levy and, and, and Jay Paul, the, the fighter and, I guess, social media influencer, announced the launch of Better Picks, which uh, the company calls, quote, real money fantasy sports vertical that's going to be made available in 24 jurisdictions across the U.S. Dustin, you've been, you've been vocal on social media and on, on your blog, The Closing Line, which is, is available for on Substack for our listeners about these companies that are crossing the line with daily fantasy sports. It's an area where I'm, I've am i struggled to understand, and, and so I'm hoping that you can educate both myself and, and our listeners on, on this whole uh, this whole controversy. Yeah, and it's a long story. I'll try to keep it as brief as I can of how we got to this point. But the basics are, yeah, there's these group of companies that create, that offer, quote unquote, daily fantasy sports in lots of states where it's where DFS might be regulated, might not be. Uh, they offer it basically as picking players on performances. It's it's indistinguishable from a parlay, basically, where you pick a bunch of players to like have a home run or have X number of strikeouts or touchdowns, whatever, any sport that you can pick. But it's done in a way that is arguably or not almost certainly legal in a lot of places um, based on a combination of things. Uh, UIGEA, the Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act, which is a federal law, which kind of which also brought around the the end of, of poker as we know it in the United States uh, back in 2011. But it has a carve out for fantasy sports, and it talks about fantasy sports in a way that is dovetails with how these companies offer it. Now that's also the you know the the first iteration of dra- of uh, DFS version 1.0, where DraftKings and FanDuel kind of take took over what, my bread and butter from when I started doing all of this. It's the same legal argument, just kind of expanding on that. What they've built on is that DraftKings and FanDuel passed a number of laws with lobbyists uh, in 2016 and, and later that co- like, took that UIGEA language and then put it in the state laws. And then on top of that, these quote-unquote game of skill laws in a bunch of states where uh, you can offer you know, real money contests if, if there's skill involved. So they use all of this. And they offer what is, you know, probably a legal DFS product in a lot of places. If you're creating a Venn diagram of fantasy sports and, and sports betting, it's it's both, right? It is both a sports betting product that offers parlays, but it's also arguably a legal DFS product. So that's where we come to today, where we have these companies. Uh, you know, I think the Wall Street Journal piece from last week talking about Prize Picks as this the startup that it's one of the you know it's arguably one of the larger sports betting entities out there because. It, it, it operates in states that other legal and regulated sports betting operators cannot. So California, Texas, and Florida, these are the three biggest states that don't yet have legal sports betting. And they are operating in those states. DraftKings and FanDuel do as well with their, their traditional DFS product. But you know, this is a proxy for sports betting. What I come from it is 
we shouldn't be doing this. Like we there were we had this pullback around regulation and the closer eye on sports betting and doing. This is a sports betting product. Again, I'm I'm, I'm never going to say it's illegal. You know, Wyoming has come out and said it's illegal, but it's it's definitely it's definitely parlay betting disguised as as fantasy sports. There's you know uh, there's nobody who can tell us with a straight face that it's not, uh, other than the people who work at those companies. So that's where I come at. We're we basically have expand an expansion of unregulated sports betting quasi-regulated regulated some places game of skill law other places um that is is taking over and i you know i don't think that's quite right when we you know we struggled to get legal sports betting and now you know we're just like oh who cares let's have this uh this quasi-regulated parlay product out there and we're fine with it i don't think that's right i guess too that obviously in a state like wyoming like there's probably tax revenue implications as well right where companies like prize picks and underdog fantasy aren't aren't regulated, so wouldn't be paying that tax revenue right now that Wyoming would be getting from other operators. Yeah, or you know, some places you're under a DFS law, which may or may not tax you, or you might just be a, a registration fee or, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, how much of this is revenue related? Yes. If I was you know, a state that had sports betting and also had one of these in it, I'd be taking a really close look at it, right? Like, because yes, you have a, a competing product that is not you know, going not one usually not regulated, almost never regulated the same standard that the sports books are. And yes, may not be, pay, you know, paying the licensing taxes, uh, all of that alongside it. So, but again, the bigger issue is that, you know, I see these basically states that don't have done nothing and they're, they're serving this with this, you know, daily fantasy or, or sports betting product. So we'll see. It's, I, I don't know if there's going to be a ton more out there other than this Wyoming, Wyoming action. It could be, but I think the wall street journal piece, again, that, that, that uh, came on prize picks really kind of opened some people's eyes that this is a big category that, uh, you know, it's kind of, Oh, maybe that's this niche industry. It's a big category now. Uh, we're in a world where California, Texas, and Texas at least are going to stay off the board for at least a few years, if not a lot longer. And it's a battleground, I think. It's who who can get to those customers. And right now, a lot of the regulated sports spending industry cannot. I was just going to ask, can you can you give kind of a real life example of, say, the the Blue Jays are playing the Mariners tonight, and uh, I'm a customer of FanDuel on Dog Fantasy. Can maybe explain for our listeners what you do on FanDuel could be similar to what you do on Underdog Fantasy. Yeah, I mean, you could do basically the exact same thing. You could. Uh, there are other. Pro- I'll be clear. There's other products you can do. Traditional fantasy. There's Best Ball Fantasy, which is a, a new a new way to do that. Relatively new, not super new, but it's picking up steam. You can play DFS like you do uh, in other places, right? But the core product is is the parlay, which is you could place. I could go place the same bet on Fanduel on DraftKings today in Oregon that you could on Underdog or Prize Picks on a, on say the Blue Jays game. Yes, I could say. Both Vladimir Guerrero and Boba Shett are going to hit a home run tonight, right? Although it'll be more than half a 0.5 homers, right? That I can place that bet on DraftKings as a parlay right now. I can go over to oh, actually, you couldn't do it on the same team. You'd have to pick whoever the Blue Jays are playing. That's the one little vagary of of the law and how UIGA works. So you could pick somebody from uh, whoever the are the Blue Jays playing the Orioles right now, right? I think so. You could pick uh, Adley. You could pick Adley Rutschman over. 0.5 home runs and Vladimir Guerrero over 0.5 runs home runs. Those are things you can do both on a sports book and a, and a, you know, DFS 2.0 platform like prize picks or, or underdog. You can do that or, or better. Um, if you're doing that, yes, it's the exact same. It's the exact same logistics. It's just the legal. It's just what legal justification you are for offering that entry or, or bet. 
what's the pushback or what 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 do you what do you hear from these daily fantasy companies when you know for example when wyoming decides they're gonna they want to shut down prize picks under our fantasy what's what's the pushback from those operators everything i just mentioned uiga the state laws the game of skill laws sure it's probably legal. That's that, that's what their argument is. And again, they hear a lot of it's sour grapes from DraftKings and FanDuel because they've been the ones that have started to be kind of vocal about this, right? Because they passed the laws that allowed for this to be kind of expanded. And they're the ones who first pushed the envelope. That's kind of immaterial to me. Who who did it? Like, that's the pushback is that this is a legal product. Now, I I really, you know, some places might be okay with it. Um, have, they've talked to regulators and, hey, you're offering it within the confines of the game. Again, I don't think any lawmaker passed a DFS law saying, man, I really want parlay betting uh, disguised as daily fantasy sports. I don't think anybody knows they passed laws that al- that that got to that. That's the part that I think is dis- disingenuous. Yes, you might be leveraging the law correctly, but this is not the intent. The intent of the law was not to allow parlay betting in, in states with DFS or to, to, to use that as a justification outside of this. And again, UIGEA is not like, it's not a law that says this is fine. It's a it's a law about payment processing. It's not like codifying in federal law that daily fantasy is fine. It's just the payment processing. You have, you know, you have the Wire Act here in the United States. You have other things that, you know, you could you could leverage say, "Oh, this is sports betting." And when you have a, even a sm- small state like Wyoming say, "Hey, this isn't cool." Like it brings up questions about whether this is really legal federally, and it's certainly a questions about, you know, on a state by state basis. Keep going back to California, Texas, because there's so much population there. I, I really highly doubt anybody in California and Texas has told these companies, yeah, this is cool. We really are, are all right with that. That's not a likely scenario. And if that has happened, I'd love for them to come out publicly and, and say that or have a, have a regulator come and you know, say, give us that rubber stamp that this is okay in California. This is okay in, in Texas, because I, I really doubt that's happened. Uh, last question on this topic, Dustin. At, at the conferences I've been to this year, there's a lot of discussion about expanding regulation to include iGaming. And, you know, it seems we see bills where lawmakers are trying to sneak certain things into to bills and they, they don't get passed. And I think we've seen Missouri's been a bit of a dog's breakfast trying to get legal sports betting there. Could this issue just muddy the waters even further in terms of states who either want to regulate sports betting or actually ex- expand and, and introduce iGaming into regulated jurisdictions? We could do a whole podcast just on this, I think. iGaming is the next wave, right? We don't have that many states where it's likely that we're going to expand sports betting. And, there's, and realistically, in the next couple of years, we have a, maybe a handful of states that have realistic opportunity of states that have large populations to expand sports betting. So I think the lobbying and the efforts from the industry are going to come in, in iGaming because, and you know, from the state side, you know, sometimes, you know, there's a lot of talk about this is not making as much money as people thought because, you know, it's a relatively low margin business. Casino gaming, online casino gaming is a much bigger business and a much better business for 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 states. And, you know, I think land based casinos in some states and, and, and more widely are, you know, more accepting of this that and we have, you know, you know, Caesars and MGM are fully online companies. These are companies with big, you know, big footprints, pen, pen entertainment with the Barstool brand like they have casinos across the country and they are now online gambling companies as well they would mu- they would much rather have online casino everywhere than than try to squeeze these last few states with sports betting you know california and texas notwithstanding but that's it's i think it's coming that's uh, the, whether it how fast it comes who knows but this is what everybody this is what the push is going to be you know yeah we've you know, there's been chatter even yeah we're out of legislative season here largely united states the chatter has been you know colorado north carolina um, certainly 
New York is always, uh, they've been uh, pushing this around for a little while as a possibility, but it's, it's what the next wave is. And uh, I maintain that if you're legalized online sports betting, why are you stopping there? Like, yes, I understand there's some cannibalization concerns, but we have a, a decade of, uh, of evidence from from New Jersey that this is not cannibalizing the Atlantic City casinos. It actually helps them engage with customers they might not otherwise get. So, you know, I think that I think we're going to you know see a turn from talking about a lot of sports betting expansion and seeing a lot more talk about expansion into to online casino and poker. Yeah, I mean, I, we could do a whole podcast on the Ontario market as well. But one one of the things that the Ontario market has received credit for is that they kind of introduced the whole enchilada right from the, the get go in April twenty twenty two and and yeah. legalizing both sports betting and and eye gaming. Just have you for a few more minutes, Dustin. But I do want to ask you. Uh, you know, we mentioned the the, the push for for eye gaming across the U.S. You know, we've seen a couple of uh, sports books the last couple of weeks play up in Fox Bets, who who are in, in big trouble. Kentucky's going to launch next month. What what kind of stories south of the border get your spidey sense tingling right now? Yeah, my big one is what is next for the industry. Like it's been Fanduel and DraftKings dominating, right? With with MGM and Caesars on that next tier uh, three and four as operators in the U.S. market. Is some is somebody coming to to disrupt that? Is what I think is most interesting. We have Fanatics coming with its product is going to be you know they say it's going to be live in a lot of places uh, by the end of the year. They are one of the few companies that can come in and disrupt this space because I think the I think the legacy whoever's in it already. I think MGM and Caesars have kind of taken their share and it's. It's not really easy to see how they improve that. So I'm I'm interested to see what Fanatics does and see if they are a, a disruptor or if they just come in and take a small share from here and there or if they can actually challenge for a podium position up there with FanDuel and DraftKings. Bet365 is the one that I always that we talk about a lot. There's a lot of evidence that they're taking the United States more seriously now that now that spend on on customer acquisition has kind of uh, normalized and is not as as crazy as it once was. They sat it out and they they're they're looking I think to be uh, you know a more major player. And yeah, I mean other than that, those are the those are the ones that I see that that have a possibility of, of really changing how things how things work like i better you know betr better with like at the beginning i don't see them as like a real player and this this them their move to dfs uh versus the house that's the other part i, I think i we kind of glossed glossed over is you're playing versus the house you're not playing against other people right so you're uh, like i don't think that i don't think they're one of those companies that's going to compete either they they've they've barely gotten any market share in the in the states they've been so can can anybody come and take FanDuel and DraftKings lunch that's uh, one of the more interesting things we're and we're in earnings season right now um so it's interesting to see and the plans for that uh, around these big companies and and whether there's a threat to them hey dustin i can't let you go without asking about the, the the brouhaha around sports betting and gambling advertising and and i'm sure you've been following what's going on up here in ontario with the alcohol and gaming commission of ontario expected to come out with new standards at, at, at some point. We wrote a newsletter on Tuesday. It's, it's been about seven weeks now since uh, AGCO registrar and CEO Tom Mungham said that uh, that there would be new standards coming out shortly. Any any thoughts just on, you know, are, is, is there is there fatigue in the U.S. as well with, with advertising or do you, do you see some changes happening, especially as we're about, what, five, four, four or five weeks out from the start of the NFL season? 
Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the litmus test, right? Is like how what the advertising looks like and how much of it is around the start of NFL season. Is it? It's probably still going to be aggressive. Um, I think a lot has happened to kind of rein it, like self-regulate almost, like around Ohio limited language around free bets and risk-free and everybody rein that in based on that guidance, right? Like it's, it's, that's kind of, that language is kind of left the US market now. And that's a good thing. The problem with the United States is you have to do this on a piecemeal basis. I don't see Congress coming in at the federal level and saying, here's, a, here's we're going to ban advertising on sports betting. We're going to do X, Y, Z to, to rein it in. Like that's not going to happen. So it'll be on a state by state basis if anything happens. And, and that can certainly be an issue. But I, I think, I think it's calmed down a little bit. Um, I'd say the, some of the fervor about it, but we could see, NFL season starts up. There's, you know, it's it gets obnoxious again. People might might bring it back up. So, we'll see. I don't. I, it doesn't feel like I mean, it was kind of in the early parts of the year. It felt kind of dire for the, for advertising, and now I think we're back to okay. It's it's here, and uh, you know what I say is like you want to help sustain a you know this basically it's still a very new market even five years in like you, you have to have advertising for it. you can't just shut down advertising then if you did then why did you legalize it in the first place right and then you're just seeding the market back to the offshores i think we're still going to see eyes on it i don't think there's some of the uh bad scenarios where it could shut down or or any of that is, are really in play anymore but i think you know missteps uh moving forward can still bring that conversation back to the fore there are a lot of really smart people in North America covering the gambling industry. Dustin Gucker's at the top of that list. I strongly recommend it. And I never have any problem recommending other sources of information in this industry. So really suggest you subscribe to the closing line. You can you can find Dustin's blog on, on Substack. Dustin, what, what's your Twitter handle too? Because that's the Twitter handle is the must follow because uh, you're, you're, you also jump on the issues of the day. So I want to plug that as well for you. Just my name, Dustin Gauker, G-O-U-K-E-R. I'm the only one on the on the planet, as far as I know. So I got my got my own handle. Uh, there's a lot of nonsense on there too. I, I'm warning people, but I do talk about gambling sometimes too. Yeah, we like to have a little fun with that. And also, I for the LinkedIn users out there, I suggest you also connect and follow uh, Dustin on, on LinkedIn as well. As I said, Dustin, this is uh, this is long overdue to get to get you on the podcast. We certainly won't wait so long to get you back on again. But uh, really appreciate your time today. Cheers. Thanks for having me on, Steve. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada show is presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt, LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com slash gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot com forward slash gaming. Now back to the show. Bring back a couple of familiar faces and voices, starting with the first lady of America's gaming industry and SBC's vice president of growth and strategy for the America, Sue Schneider. And joining Sue is the vice president for SBC, Nicole Fields. Sue and Nikki, thanks so much for taking time on a summer afternoon on the final week of July to be with us. It's good to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, I want to open this segment by letting our listeners know that uh, so much admiration for what the two of you are doing as advocates for women in the gambling industry, not, not only in Canada, and, and in the U.S., but but beyond, and that commitment to make the industry a better place for women took you both to Las Vegas a, a week or so ago for together with your industry peers. Uh, Nikki, I'll maybe start with you because I know you're the great organizer and you you bring people together. 
maybe if you could just talk about how this event all came together. Sure. Well, thanks for that, Steve. You know, as conference organizers, Sue and I often hear there are um, barriers or some lack of information or some limitations uh, around women participating in industry events and conferences. And we took the initiative to get a group of um, 25 C-level leading female women in Las Vegas together to have a real discussion about um, what some of these barriers are and how we can get around them and, and how we can empower more women to speak at conferences, attend conferences, you know, and, and just be a voice at industry events in general. So you've been around for the industry for, for quite a long time now. What what are some of those barriers that still remain for women to uh, to, to get into positions of power in this, in this industry? Well, I think the, uh, the numbers still show that we're very much lacking in terms of being able to get into the the sea level positions. So, I mean, there's been some improvement. We've, we've now located about 70 uh, women that are CEOs or GMs or presidents globally throughout the whole industry. So, but it's, it's, we've got a long way to go, but, you know, I, I think it's still just a matter of trying to be able to work your way up and, and the powers that be being open to, uh, you know, trying out some new folks. Nick, you had, I think you mentioned 25 or 35 people that joined you in Las Vegas. So what, what kind of positions do those those people have? What what are the age ranges? And, and were there any specific takeaways that came out of that together? So the group, like I said, about 25 women leaders, most of them operators, a few suppliers, and they range from all age ranges. Um, some of the takeaways were definitely really interesting. For example, getting buy-in from the top down. So working with company CEOs to say, you know, this is what we're seeing in the industry. SPC is working um, to diversify our events and our conferences more. We will be going out to, you know, leaders within your organizations. We hope that you support us. I mean, that was a message that we heard loud and clear. Some of the other takeaways, maybe a lack of training when it comes to public speaking or presentations. So we heard loud and clear to offer more public speaking training. SBC is hopefully going to be doing some of these webinars in the future to, you know, help provide some of these tools for women to be better presenters, better public speakers, and, you know, in turn, be more confident to, to speak at conferences and, and be a voice on the stage. Some other takeaways were around networking events and what meaningful networking events mean and how we can build upon that, you know, not just women in the industry, for men, women, you know, and, and just really everyone in the industry. Um, so, you know, those are a few of the takeaways that come to the top of my head that we're at SBC, we're going to put into action. Sue, I mean, I've only been covering this industry for a little over two years now, but it does seem to me that there are some very strong and powerful voices, not just for in the industry, but the industry at large. And I, I think about you and, and Kelly Keene and the work that you, the two of you by forming the All, the All in Diversity Project. And I look here in Canada at women like Amanda Brewer, who's been such a great voice for, for this regulated sports betting and gaming industry that we see in Ontario today. Uh, and, that you know, the, the move a couple of years ago to change the criminal code to open the door for, for single sports betting. I look at someone like uh, like Thornton, who came in and, and set up iGaming Ontario uh, in very short order, and, and that organization has come leaps and bounds in a little over a year 
Kelly, the uh, executive responsible for the council. I look at the diversity and inclusion uh, advocacy done by Catherine Mead and Tiana Kerr at, at OLD. So there certainly are some strong female voices around the industry here in North America. That's true. And uh, that's what makes it fun to get involved with some of these groups like Global Gaming Women are all in diversity because there really are some super talented women who have taken this on really as a, a mission for themselves to try to help bring others up as they, as they come along. I think whether it's informal mentoring or whether it's getting involved with, with one of these groups that are, that are part of the industry, it's really exciting to see. Global Gaming Women has been around for a pretty long time now and they're the, the kind of programming that they do is amazing. Um, the uh, All in Diversity has really been very concrete and very, you know, looking at numbers and have set a baseline a few years ago so that they can look at things like management issues, pay, things like that to see how we can improve and when we will improve and what more we have yet to do. So it, it is very exciting. And you're right, in Canada, you've got some some great women up there that are that are vocal and don't mind getting out there and feel very comfortable and they're extremely capable. So you're fortunate in that regard. Nick, do you feel like there's enough awareness out there now where young people in this industry that they know uh, that they can reach out to people like your like yourself and Sue and Kelly and uh, you know here in Canada with people like Martha and Amanda and, and Shelly? Do you, do you think that? women that uh, especially women young women coming out of university program in the united States and canada that this this is an industry where they they can not only find uh find jobs but can have quite a rewarding career in. well gaming is certainly an exciting industry to be a part of you know, especially right now with sports betting and online gaming and, and all these other great developments happening and like sue mentioned you know a lot of upward mobility available do I think that there is enough awareness around some of these nonprofits or um, you know global gaming women or some of the other um, um, association networking I think they're doing a wonderful job trying to get the message out there I just think that we can do more to spread the message that these advocacy groups are out there and to join in and be active and vocal and participate uh, because that is the best way to, you know, broaden your network and open doors um, and be proactive about your own career. Like I said, Global Gaming Women is, you know, is growing immensely from where they started a couple of years ago and they become even more global. They're, they're doing subcommittees in some other regions, which is really great to see. I think more um, organically, I think women should empower and support other women and tell them about opportunities that are available. Tell them about some of these um, organizations that are available to them. Sue, I, I always uh, I, I always remember the uh, the conversation I had with Cipriano, the, the chief compliance officer for Points by Canada, when Two years ago, I wrote a column for the Trump Star on, on women getting working in the gambling industry. And she related an anecdote from, I think it was it ha actually happened during the SBC Summit in North America the week I was writing the column. And a man walked up to Chantel and other women and basically said, Oh, I guess you're having a conversation about your kids. And, you know, of course, I was very offended by that. And it makes me think too that when you when you first cut your teeth in this industry, I'm sure you were you outlier that most times you were sitting in a whether it was a 
room or, or a conference hall that, that uh, you were probably sitting among a sea of, of men and, and probably in a lot of cases a sea of white men. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, and again, I, I jumped in with both feet. I was, I was older when I started my company called River City Group in the late 90s, mid to late 90s. And we started a trade association and I chaired that for eight years, but it was like there would be four women out of a hundred at our meetings. So it's been, and they were very strong women. Some like Ruth Parasol, it started party poker and just some really, really great entrepreneurs that were out there. But number wise, we were lacking for sure in terms of any kind of diversity. But, it, it, you know, you bring up an interesting point because that is still going on in terms of you know, we, we, I'm real sensitive to it, like with our speakers, when they make comments, you know, it, it's just something that is from an interpersonal standpoint, those kind of things still happen. What I think has changed is that there are more male allies out there that are willing to point it out when they see it and say, why don't you not say that? So that's enlightening for me. I, I get disappointed when I see younger guys that are doing it because I would have hoped that, you know, maybe it was just a generational thing. But to me, that's the good good side is that you see guys stepping up and them just doing it man to man saying, you know, that's just really not cool for you to do that. It's worse actually in some, part of the some parts of the world too. I mean, I hate to say that, but it, it really, part of it is geographic and cultural. Um, but we're getting there, we're getting there. And, and I think to, to Nikki's point, I would even go a step further. I think it's a great time for young women to come into the industry because I think there is a greater awareness. You're seeing a lot of more senior women that are now becoming board members at some of these big companies, that sort of thing. And so you're gonna start seeing that filter down more than you might have in the past. Yeah, and I knew that. I would say that's reflected. We we have a people on the move section in the newsletter Thursday, and and I see more, and more women in that section who are being promoted to you know what the vice president position, chief technology yep. officer positions. I think that's something that the three of us have talked about in the past too, where women tended to be pigeonholed into certain segments of the industry, but perhaps human resources. And, We've talked previously about, you know, we're starting to see some women in the, with sports trading teams and, and we are seeing them as CEOs. And of course, you know, Amy Howell, someone who sticks right away at FanDuel, but there more, is more of that movement and the, and the other sense of the industry. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. It's slow, but we're getting there. Hey, Sue, I, I want to ask Nikki in a second about, the, go back to the speaker's uh, comment you made, but was there an aha moment for you as as a woman in the industry? You you said to yourself, or you had a conversation with someone that like we there's a greater role we can play here. And and again, I I one of the things I find really about the SB some in North America having been the three of them now is is that you know kind of a coffee coffee conversation on one morning of the conference where women from the industry get together. And, and there are there as well, but I think that's a, a really cool moment. But what was there? A, there's something that really skewed to, to become an advocate. Well, you know, I was thinking about this recently because when I was in college, in when would that have been? I was this was like 1973. Here, the college I was at was starting a advocating for a women's center, and our group was called Women for a Change, which we kind of like the double entendre there. But so, you know, it, it dawned on me recently that I've been at this for a long time through a variety of iterations of careers and even industries. I mean, I, I spent 12 years running a not-for-profit. So, 
you know, I know that side of things too. I don't know that I could point to one moment, but it's been a longstanding passion of mine to be able to be really active and really vocal and uh, just hope that things will continue to improve. For me, I got involved with Global Gaming Women um, really early on in my gaming career. So um, I don't remember how I got involved, but I'm, you know, it's been life changing for me in terms of opening up doors and in helping broaden my network. So once I started to feel that empowerment, that's when I started to take more of um, a bigger role. I liked the high of it, right? Like, you know, um, getting to meet some of these senior level women that were, you know, um, working with Global Gaming Women and the introductions that I was being made to. And I wanted to be part of that. Going back to the, you know, the events, you know, I recently had a conversation with one of my colleagues is like, I don't want to be perceived as like a feminist because I keep doing these women in gaming events and advocacy and I'm super involved. And you know what? It dawned on me, like, as I was saying, I was like, you know what? Who cares? I don't care what people think, if that's what the people are thinking, because I appreciate what I'm doing. Other women in the industry appreciate what I'm doing. And, and I think that we are doing really good work. And I think it's a badge of honor, actually, to be called that myself. But that's, you know, from from my era growing up with that. The, the thing I want to also add is that I think it's a whole diversity issue. It's much broader than just women. We have, for the last couple of years, been involved with hosting uh, a meetup at our events for African-Americans in gaming. We would hope to continue to see those kind of groups that really have been very much underrepresented in the past. You know, we, we need a a single voice in that regard. So, um, you know, that's the one thing that I want to continue to to push out there that we're, we're not only talking about just gender, we're talking about people of color, LGBTQ, you know, the whole, the whole range of, of people that really may not have had the opportunities in our industry, but are, are now seeing doors open up to them. Yeah, no, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. So uh, as Nikki introduced me to uh, Kelly Weaver at the, uh, gaming summit back back in june at a reception and you know just such an impressive impressive person and getting no catherine meet into yonder kerr olg from their attendance to conferences and the work that they're they're doing and that inclusivity piece is really really important this this industry is not different than any other where anybody should feel welcome to attend conference and i, I my sense is that 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 is the case the one thing I've enjoyed about being, uh, you know, covering this industry for more than two years now is just the great, the great people I've met, met all, all walks of life. And especially when you talk to, there's a lot of, a lot of journalists, including myself, who come from traditional media background. And I think we've been pleasantly surprised by crossing over the, into this industry and, and dealing with the kind of people that we get, that we get to deal with on a, on a daily basis. Can I just add one thing on, on the tribal? Because I think that's what's really interesting about this industry. We have a whole vertical that's tribal gaming in the U.S., First Nations gaming in, in Canada. And, you know, that's that's been a real education for me because I don't really know about that. And again, my background has been on all iGaming in the past and, and they were locked out of that for whatever reason. So, you know, I think those kind of things are and supporting those efforts um, is really, really important because they're probably more the, at least in the U.S., they're some of the more successful casinos that are out there and gaming operations. So it's been really interesting to, to learn more about that, even for me personally. And, and it's really important to, uh, to have that inclusivity. We had Zane Hansen, the president and CEO of the 
Saskatchewan Indian Gaming Authority on the podcast last week. And, you know, SIGA, which operate gaming in that province, they, they had a record-setting fiscal year in 2022-23. And it uh, was, uh, was terrific to listen to Zane talk about that organization coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, work that was being done. I believe it's 50, 50% of the money earned by through SEGA goes back to uh, First Nations communities. So there's, you know, a awful lot of good work being done with that business and at the same time uh, providing providing jobs for people in those First Nations communities of Saskatchewan. Yeah. I wonder if the speakers are cop things for a second, because I, I think I think a lot of now are are sensitive to the fact that when we go to a conference and, and we, you know, we take a look at the panels and I have to admit, I, you know, I felt guilty. I moderated and organized the Canadian Gaming Summit where we you know, it ended up being four uh, white guys on a panel. And, and unfortunately, we had uh, Megan Shaker was scheduled to be on the panel. And Megan, Megan's been a really strong advocate for not only the gaming industry, but for sports uh, across the board. And uh, Megan had some other commitments and had to back out. But I do, I do think there is a, an awareness now, and just among women, there I think people notice when when you go to a conference and the, the pan, it's the same type of people that you see on panels. Is that a is that a fair assessment, Nikki? I, I think you know yes, it is a fair assessment. I do think that you know people are taking note and noticing when it is um, a panel of all men, which in the industry we dub as manals. And I've heard of companies taking stances and saying, you know, we're not participating in panels with no diversity that are all manals. Um, there's actually a policy around it that I've heard in, in some instances. And you know, coming out of the uh, of a discussion, the event that we held last week is if you are a female thought leader who gets a speaking invite and has to turn it down for one reason or another, it would be a great best practice if we could recommend um, another female to take our place, to take our seat, so that isn't lost upon us and that women do have their voice um, on the stage and in the discussion. And if I could just add to that, because I, I do help out with the conference production side on at, at SBC, and it, it's hard. Number one, you have a smaller pool to draw from. Secondly, you have people that may not have spoken before and don't have the confidence. So it, it is extremely hard. It's something that we don't always succeed at. And I'm very, very conscious of that. So, But I, I also think we have very pretty aggressive goals about how to handle that in the future and and. and Part of it is starting early. Part of it is starting some initiatives like we're talking about that will give people, you know, a little bit more both skills and confidence to to do this kind of thing. So I'm not going to give any illusions that, that uh, you know, we're going to get there 100%, but uh, we certainly are trying hard to, to get past that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. So I think the other thing we've seen, too, is that some of the games in the past, I've, I've, been, I've heard complaints about, you know, certain companies having Stanley clad women uh, walk around, uh, walk around venues and that, that there is a, a bit of a speed change happening there. But I've had, I've had people tell me that they, they've stopped to certain instances for, for that reason, because they, uh, they, they just had enough and times, times of change. And it, it's some of these conferences have to have to catch up to the, to the times. But Sue, is that something that you, you've seen less of and, and that, that, that is a bit of an oddity now. If you if you do a, do a conference and expose to something something like that, 
Yeah, I think just even pre-COVID, I, I remember at ICE, there was a big blow up about that. It was a huge issue because it was, it, it was right. a, a little problematic, I'd say. But I think most, not all, but, but most organizers at this point are much more sensitive to that and talk with their exhibitors about it. And hopefully, again, that that's an improvement. But uh, it, it certainly was an issue. I mean, people felt like, oh, it was, you know, it's the gambling industry. It's the entertainment industry. Of course, we're going to have people like that. But I, I, I think there's more awareness now. In those days, you would go into the restroom at the end of the show and all these young women in there who were very beautiful, very personable, um, they would all be in there, you know, getting into their street clothes it, it was jobs for them and you you want to appreciate that and understand that but some of it did get a little too far and so there was a backlash which so i haven't seen much of that in the last few years at all really i want to wrap up nikki but what can the industry do to, to help women and what's what that you would let happen next what's what's kind of the next step forward Empowering women to um, build up their confidence and to let them know um, all of the events that are happening, you know, inviting them to have a seat at the table. I, you know, I think that we can all do. Um, I do want to just add, you know, you know, I think Sue had alluded to it earlier that, you know, we do have a lot of great male allies that are supporting women in the industry and just spreading the word. More of that is welcome and needed. So that too more training and some more um, would be, be helpful, especially as a conference organizer. We're hearing a lot about, you know, more training when it comes to public speaking and presenting. So SBC um, will be doing, you know, a lot of that hopefully in the near future. And, you know, women um, just getting involved themselves and leaning into it and meeting some of their peers in the industry and having these open discussions is really, really helpful. I mean, the industry right now is really having a hard look at diversity, especially coming out of COVID and retaining employees. So to have this open discussion, you know, that that's really important and, and should be continued. I'll give, give you the last word. Well, you know, again, I, I think I'm pretty optimistic and pretty upbeat about the, the direction. It, you know, it's a situation where I think we need to figure out really concrete ways of how do we move this forward. Somebody was mentioning they may be afraid, but number one, they're probably only speaking on a panel themselves for like maybe seven minutes. There is preparation where they know what questions are coming at them. Some really concrete things that we can be relaying to give people a better comfort level so that they do feel more comfortable with saying yes when we do reach out to them. So there are both, you know, internal lessons that we've learned as well as I think a pretty good sense of direction that that things are, are looking up and that there is more uh, inclusivity in the future. I know we've talked this uh, forum uh, about this, you know, several times. I, I think it's an important topic. You know, as I said, I'm, I'm a bigger of both of you for, for the work you're doing that area as advocates for women. Sue is the Vice President of Growth and Strategy for the Americas at SBC, and her colleague is uh, Nicole Fields, the President of Relations. And uh, Nikki and Sue, Sue, so much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your summer. And I have no doubt that you will both be back on the podcast at some, some point and we'll have a conversation. We'll keep moving the needle. Appreciate the invitation. Thank you, Steve. You too. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.